On 28 February 1838, nine days after the attack on Miss Alsop, 18-year-old Lucy Scales and her sister were returning home after visiting her brother, a butcher who lived in a respectable part of Limehouse. Miss Scales stated in her deposition to the police that as she and her sister were passing along the Green Dragon Alley, they observed a person standing in an angle of the passage. She was walking in front of her sister at the time and just as they came up to the person who was wearing a large cloak, he spurted a quantity of blue flame in her face which deprived her of her sight and so alarmed her that she instantly dropped to the ground and was seized with violent fits for which continued for several hours. Her brother added that on the evening in question he had heard the loud screams of one of his sisters moments after they had left his house and on running up to Green Dragon Alley he had found his sister Lucy on the ground in a fit with her sister attempting to hold and support her. She was taken home and he then learned from his other sister what had happened. She described Lucy's assailant as being of tall, thin and gentlemanly appearance, covered in a large cloak and carrying a small lump or bullseye's lantern similar to those used by the police. The individual did not speak, nor did he try to lay hands on them, but instead he walked away quickly. Every effort was made by the police to discover the author of these and similar outages, and several persons were questioned but were set free. The Times reported the alleged attack on Jane Alsop on 2nd March 1838 under the heading the last outrage at Old Ford. This was followed with the account of the trial of one Thomas Milbank, who immediately after the report attack on Jane Alsop had boasted in the Morgan's arms that he was Springheel Jack. He was arrested and tried at the Lambeth Street Court. The arresting officer was James Lee, who had earlier arrested William Corder, the Red Barn murderer. Milbank had been wearing white overalls and a greatcoat, which he dropped outside the house and the candle he dropped was also found. He escaped conviction only because James Al Jane Alsop insisted her attacker had breathed fire and Milbank admitted he could do no such thing. Most of the other accounts were written long after the date. Contemporary newspapers do not mention them. After these incidents, Springheel Jack became one of the most popular characters of the period. His alleged exploits were reported in the newspapers and became the subject of several penny dreadfuls and plays performed in the cheap theatres at the abound that abounded at the time. The devil was even renamed Springheel Jack in some Punch and Judy shows, as recounted by Henry Mayhew in his La London Labour and the London Poor. This here is Satan. We might say the devil, but that ain't right. And general folks don't like such words. He is now commonly called Springheel Jack or the Rossian Bear. That's since the war. But even as his fame was growing, reports of Springheel Jack's appearance became less frequent if more widespread. In 1843, however, a wave of sightings swept the country again. A report from Northamptonshire described him as the very image of the devil himself, with horns and eyes of flames. And in East Anglia, reports of attacks on drivers of mail coaches became common. In July 1847, a Springheel Jack investigation in Devon led to a Captain Finch being convicted of two charges of assault against women during which he is said to have been disguised in a skin coat which had the appearance of a bullock's hide, skull cap, horns and mask. 
the legend was linked with the phenomenon of the Devil's Footprints, which appeared in Devon in February 1855. In the beginning of the 1870s, Spring Hill Jack was reported again in several places distance from each other. In November 1872, the News of the, of the World reported that Peckham was in a state of commotion owing to what is known as the Peckham Ghost, a mysterious figure quite alarming in, in appearance. The editorial pointed out that it was none other than Spring Hill Jack who terrified a past generation. Similar stories were published in the Illustrated Police News. In April and May 1873, it was reported there were numerous sightings in Sheffield of the Park Ghost, which locals came to identify as Spring Hill Jack. This news was followed by more reported sightings until in August 1877, one of the most notable reports about Spring Hill Jack came from a group of soldiers in Aldershot Garrison. This story went as follows. A sentry on duty at the North Camp peered into the darkness, his attention attracted by a peculiar figure advancing towards him. The soldier issued a challenge which went unhe unheeded, and the figure came up beside him and delivered several slaps to his face. A guard shot at him with no visible effect. Some sources claim the soldier may have fired blanks at him, others that he missed or fired warning shots. The strange figure then disappeared into the surrounding darkness with astonishing bounds. Lord Ernest Hamilton's 1922 memoir, 40 Years On, mentions the Aldershot appearance of Spring Hill Jack. However, he says that they occurred in the winter of 1879 after his regiment, the 60th Rifles, had moved to Aldershot and that similar appearances had occurred when the reg regiment was barracked at Colchester in the winter of 1878. He adds that the panic became so great at Aldershot that sentries were issued ammunition and ordered to shoot the night terror on sight, following which the appearances ceased. Hamilton thought that the appearances were actually pranks carried out by one of his fellow officers, a Lieutenant Alfrey. However, there is no record of Alfrey ever being court-martialed for the offence. In the autumn of 1877, Springhill Jack was reportedly seen at Newport Arch in Lincoln, Lincolnshire, wearing a sheepskin. An angry mob supposedly chased him and cornered him, and just as in Aldershot a while before, residents fired at him to no effect. As usual, he was said to have made use of his leaping abilities to lose the crowd and disappear once again. By the end of the 19th century, the reported sightings of Springhill Jack were moving towards the northwest of England. Around 1888, in Everton, North Liverpool, he allegedly appeared on the rooftop of St. Francis Xavier's Church in Salisbury Street. In 1904, there were reports of appearances in the nearby William Henry Street. The vast urban legend built around Springhill Jack influenced many aspects of Victorian life, especially in contemporary popular culture. For decades, especially in London, his name was equ equated with the boogeyman as a means of scaring children into behaving by telling him if they were not good, Springhill Jack would leap up and peer in at them through their bedroom windows by night. No one was ever caught and identified as Springhill Jack combined with the extraordinary abilities attributed to him and the very long period during which he was reportedly at large, this has led to numerous and varied theories of his nature and identity.
While several researchers seek a normal explanation for the events, other authors explore the more fantastic details of the story to propose different kinds of paranormal speculation. Skeptical investigators have dismissed the stories of Springhill Jack as mass hysteria, which developed around various stories of a boogeyman or devil which have been around for centuries, or from exaggerated urban myths about a man who clambered over rooftops claiming that the devil was chasing him. However, a variety of widely speculative and paranormal explanations have been proposed to explain the origin of Springhill Jack, including that he was an extraterrestrial entity with a non-human appearance and features, and a superhuman agility deriving from a life on a high-gravity world with his jumping ability and strange behaviour, and that he was a demon, accidentally or purposefully summoned into this world by practitioners of the occult, or who made himself manifest simply to create spiritual If you like that, then listen to our main show every Wednesday on all good podcast providers. It's Alive Alive, the really, really fake true crime horror podcast. All the guts and gore, none of the guilt. See you on Wednesdays.